Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. White Sox fans. Yes, we are using the White Sox wake-up call uh, music again. Again, we're dusting it off because usually we reserve that when we are recapping White Sox games during the week, but we don't have any games to recap. Instead, we have the 2020 Major League Baseball draft to recap as it is Friday, June 12th, and last night was the end of the 2020 Major League Baseball draft, a very unique draft, only five rounds. And after the Chicago White Sox selected left-hander from Tennessee, Garrett Crochet, they had four picks to make in the second round, and they made a big splash in the second round of the draft, getting Jared Kelly, who at one time was considered for the White Sox at pick 11. And then they uh, they made some interesting decisions after Jared Kelly that we will be recapping with our good friend from Future Sox joining us on this special edition of the podcast. It is James Fox. And James, thanks again for jumping on the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be joining you. So how did you feel at the start of the second day, knowing that Jared Kelly was available? And it wasn't just Jared Kelly, right? There was Cole Wilcox. There was JT Ginn. There were a lot of questions of, okay, are these guys tough to sign and they're either going to school or they're going back to school? What's the situation here? So how did you feel when the second day started knowing that Jared Kelly was still on the board? Yeah, so, I mean, just to go back to how you asked it, like JT Ginn and uh, Cole Wilcox obviously look like they're going to sign as well. I was kind of under the impression that you know, they were looking for somewhere around $3 million. I didn't think once they didn't go last night, I kind of thought that they were just going to go back to school because Cole Wilcox could be a top 10 pick next year. I think they both sign now. I don't think anybody, I don't think he took anybody tonight that's not going to sign. So 
Jared Kelly was a little bit different. Like we had heard about a $3 million asking price for him too in that range. Right. You know, but the difference there is, you know, it was kind of known that Jared Kelly didn't really want to go to Texas. So there were some reports last night like, yeah, nobody really knows who the team is, but like he's probably going to sign if he gets taken. So, you know, right away, like people talked about it last night, you know, maybe Jared Kelly could get to the White Sox. The Sox did something similar with high school pitchers last year, but no, you know, those guys aren't to this level, obviously. And then, you know, we find out tonight that, you know, it, it actually, in fact, did work. I, I actually, I was caught a little bit off guard. You know, I thought they were taking a college pitcher. I had heard a lot today about um, the, the Ball State right-hander Kyle Nicholas and how he was a potential target, and I just thought they were going to load up on college pitching. Honestly, I was – I was a little bit surprised. You know, it was a surprise for me when Jared Kelly came off the board. I probably shouldn't have been surprised um, because I've known how interested they've been in him and how much they've liked the player. And you know, you kind of said similar. So maybe I should have seen it coming. I just, I just didn't know that they were going to come up with the funds to do it. And that's a good point that you make, James, because now in hindsight, with Mike Shirley explaining it as far as the process and what the White Sox did to get Jared Kelly signed. After the first round was done and the White Sox noticed that Jared Kelly wasn't selected, they got on the phone uh, with Jared Kelly's representation. Uh, His name is Josh Goldberg. He's part of the MVP Sports Group, which is led by super agent Dan Lozano. Very interesting because, of course, the White Sox harken back to the Manny Machado negotiations. (laughs) Um, But they worked it out with Josh Goldberg, who... Clearly, Jared Kelly had a price tag that needed to be met by any team to take him in the second round. So going back to where my mindset was watching the second day, James, I had a feeling that, man, if Baltimore doesn't take Jared Kelly at pick 39 after I assume they went heavy underslot to take Heston Kirstead second overall, if he doesn't go to Baltimore... Is he still going to be on the board for the White Sox at 47? And if he is, do they take that chance at when Jared Jones was taken, when Ben Hernandez was taken? It was like, okay, something is going on here, right? All of these high school deals, and I like Jared Jones and I like Ben Hernandez, but talent-wise, they should have not been taken in front of Jared Kelly. And when Matt Vaskersian at the podium said that the White Sox are taking right-hander Jared Kelly, I felt kind of relieved because I really now enjoy this draft strategy that Mike Shirley and Rick Hahn and the White Sox went with, James. Because Garrett Crochet, just by himself, again, he is an exciting talent. He's got premium skills. But one of those skills that he's lacking is duration, right? The ability to consistently pitch five plus innings and be that starting pitcher to be counted on. That's going to be a skill that he needs to develop. But watching Jared Kelly at the Under Armour Showcase and what he did in the spring this year to win National Player of the Year from Gatorade, uh, striking out 34 of the 36 batters that he faced. I don't think there's any doubt that Jared Kelly's a starting pitcher, James. And I think when we look back at this draft four years from now, I think White Sox fans are going to be pretty happy knowing that they both got get 
they got Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly, even though Jared Kelly may be the long-term starting pitcher, and Garrett Crochet is the weapon that comes out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think they would tell us if we talked to anybody there, they would say they're both starters, obviously, and I think Mike Shirley said that tonight. But no, you're right. Like, Garrett Crochet, I think, was a fine pick where he was taken. You know, we talked about it last night, but it is a little bit underwhelming because of the risk. And I think a lot of people, myself included, bought into the, you know, the notion that they were going to be a little bit more prep focused. Well, we found out that that was, you know, true tonight. So, you know, the combo of both is awesome. I think obviously, you know, for somebody like me who likes to follow day three of the traditional draft and, you know, write up all these prospects and stuff, three, four, five tonight was a little bit underwhelming. But I mean, you know, would Mm -hmm. I rather have you know, a couple of guys that are ranked in the low 100s or like Jared Kelly, like I'm taking Jared Kelly any day. I mean, I, you know me, man, like we, we talked about, I would have been fine if they took Jared Kelly at 11. So taking him at 47 is, and obviously he's not the 47th best player in the draft. We know that start stacking bonus pools. You know, you'll, you'll find out, you know, where Jared Kelly slots in. I mean, they, they basically, you know, just use the money that they have to get two top 20 players in the class, which which is pretty remarkable, actually. It's not the strategy I thought they would employ. Yeah, it was one of them that I wrote out. I agree with you. I didn't. I was not 100% confident that they were going to try to duplicate what they did in 2019. And, and that's how I feel, James, is that Rick Hahn and Mike Shirley pulled out the 2019 game plan. You, you don't have, obviously, the f- full 40 rounds, right? And you're missing part of that game plan to go offer six-figure bonuses to guys after the 10th round. You don't have that part of the strategy. But the strategy of really front-loading your draft, where last year the White Sox used rounds 5 through 10 to just draft college seniors and pay him $10,000 so they can pay for Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson. Now here, in a five-round draft, it is front-loaded. The focus is on the first two guys. But the first two guys are, doesn't matter what list you want to pull up, they are top 25 prospects that you got to add into your farm system. I think the White Sox did a terrific job here as far as the draft. Let's play a hypothetical because we both know that if it wasn't going to be Gary Crochet at pick 11, that the other name attached to the White Sox was Mick Abel. And that would have been prepped to start. So what do you think would have been, as far as the more ideal result here for the White Sox. The way that they went about it, getting the college starter and Garrett Crochet in the first round, and then the prep pitcher, Jared Kelly, in the second round, or flip it as far as getting Mick Abel in the first round and then taking a college pitcher in the second round. So, I mean, I like this better, but I think that's, you know, I'm a little bit biased because I really like Jared Kelly. So, you know, if somebody thinks that Mick Abel is obvious, you know, if you think he's the top high school player in the class, you don't really like crochet. I could see it, but you're also not going to get a college arm to the level of crochet in the second, right? So you're looking at Abel and then whatever, like whatever, like overslot, maybe college arm you take there. Maybe, I mean, unless you're taking Cole Wilcox there, you know what I mean? You're probably, you're probably getting a college starter for 2 million and then you're drafting better players in rounds three and four. Um, so, so I, I, I mean, I think I like, I like this, this strategy, the way that they, the way that they did it, I mean, just getting Jared Kelly, I think obviously look, there's questions, right? I mean, it's, 
it's a right now body. It's right now stuff. It's the, you know, the, the secondary offerings, a change up, which is good. But I think, you know, a lot of evaluators want that secondary to be a, a curveball or a slider. And look, they can develop a third pitch on him. But those are some of the reasons why, you know, some people had him falling. But then he did end up getting what mid mid first round money anyway. So right. Um, so I mean, clearly the White Sox wanted Jared Kelly. You know, we knew that White Sox scouts had been all over Jared Kelly, like since last summer they saw him in the spring. But I understand not popping the first round. I, I mean, look, high school righty risk. It's easy for me or you to like come on come on a podcast and say that you know, they don't take enough chances, but it's like, you know, it's not my butt on the line when, when a high school righty busts. So I get not doing it in round one, but being able to do this in round two, similar to last year, I mean, they've added a ton of, you know, 18, 19 year old pitching in the last two years. And that's something that they just hadn't typically done, you know, over the last four to five years. And I appreciate that they are taking chances in the second, third, or even fourth rounds. If you want to go back to last year's draft, because let's face it, James, during Nick Hosteller's tenure, the second through fourth round, they were very college heavy still, and it, it's it's very doubtful those guys are going to pan out. Like Gavin Sheets, is Gavin Sheets part of the White Sox long term plan at all now that they have Andrew Vaughn and they signed Jose Abreu for three years and they got Edwin Encarnacion's option for 2021? Probably not, right? But they paid him two million dollars to take him the second round. They already moved Steelwalker. Uh, you know, we were fans of Alex Call and Jamison Fisher back in the day. You know, the, these college, the going heavy as far as in college at the earlier part of Nick Hostetler's tenure wasn't bearing much fruit for the White Sox. And whether that was just the development didn't reach their potential uh, or injuries got in the way, and injuries have been a significant problem for the White Sox the last couple of years, and that's just bad luck. But I do enjoy that they are taking the chances, and it's perfectly fine if it's in the second round. You're spending first-round money to get a top 25 talent that everybody agrees is a top 25 talent. So it's really hard to argue taking on that risk in the second round because the White Sox, their second-round picks just haven't reached the major league. So I look at it, James, as you got to try something new because what you've been doing hasn't been working. And uh, I, I appreciate the last two years that the White Sox are taking these risks, adding these high school pitchers and Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson last year, and now adding someone like Jared Kelly. The The other situation I was trying to think of, because I was trying to think of what would be Mick Abel and his college counterpart, and this is for the listeners to decide, who would you rather have, Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly, or Mick Abel and, let's say, Cole Henry, the right-hander out of LSU that was drafted in the second round? Yeah, so... Yeah, Cole Henry is another guy, by the way, who, you know, after last night, I kind of thought he might go back to school, but he he was taken, right. what, by Washington, I think. So, I mean, yeah. it, it seems like, I mean, look, he went round two. He's going to sign for sure. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I still think I would, I think I would take Crochet and Kelly over Abel and Henry. I think so too. We both like Jared Kelly quite a bit though. So, you know, I think, <laughs> I think true. that's, you know what I mean? Like I, I understand <laughs> Like you and I are both coming from a similar place with him. And look, some of mine was I really dug in after I kind of 
found out that the White Sox were pretty interested. I think a lot of people, even after last year, just kind of get it in their head that they're going all college. And it's just not, look, like we've seen in the first round, like next year when we do this, like we're probably going to put them with a college player because, because like it just makes sense now. Right. But they have, but they have sure. expanded their horizons a little bit to the point where, you know, they're adding preps in those middle rounds and your point to the hostile draft was important. Like I do think they did try to insulate their system a little bit, you know, to try to have better minor league teams, to have actual, like, you know, guys that were decent in their system. But, man, they went very heavy, and, and it was and it was overboard. Yeah. And, look, I didn't even have that much of an issue with, <clears throat> with um, like, safe, perceived safe first-rounders, Zach Collins, Jake Berger. But their second and third-round picks, I just – I could never get on board with the strategy of – you know, over slotting a college player in the second round, you know, and then it's a guy that is like late, you know, 21, 22 already, any hiccup at all, they're 24. You talked about it with Gavin Sheets. Like, is he, does he factor into the White Sox plans? No. Does he factor into anybody else's plans though? I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's what I mean. That's, like, that's the problem. So, I mean, even Andrew Dawkins, Matthew Thompson could never pitch a game for the White Sox. But if he gets you something two years from now in a pennant race, that's fine. Like, I don't know if some of these college, mm-hmm. like second and third round picks, I don't know if you can say the same for that. Yeah, that's a good point. Now Rick Hahn has trade fodder, which we talked about during spring training when we were previewing this season, that if you wanted the White Sox to make an impact deal if we had a regular season in late June or July before the trade deadline, Rick Hahn just didn't have enough assets to pull off a major trade to get someone of significance to really boost the White Sox chances of making the postseason. But I feel after this draft and combine, you know, combining with last year's draft with Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist, and now you got Jared Kelly and you got Garrett Crochet and you got the pitchers that they have already in Chicago uh, that, you know, Rick Hahn, all of a sudden, now he has assets that he could possibly use to make a trade uh, and add some of the significance if the team in Chicago needs an extra boost. That is an option. We're not saying that is the desired option. But now at least he's got that option where in February, March, James, he did not have that option. So they're, they're, the common question, though, uh, for a White Sox fan is, okay, so they got Jared Kelly. How are they going to pay for Jared Kelly? Well, they answer that question with the third and fourth round picks. Uh, their third round pick is Addison Coffey out of Wabash Valley College in Illinois. And he is a two-way player. He plays shortstop and he pitches. And the pitching scouting report from Jim Callis, bless his heart, I can't believe he actually had this, uh, was 95 with a slider. And looking at his stats in 2020, uh, and Addison was committed to Louisville, so he was planning on going to Louisville uh, for the 2021 season, but Addison Coffey only pitched three and a third innings, allowing three hits, three runs, five walks, and five strikeouts. So eight base runners in three and a third inning. Uh, So not exactly eye-opening stuff there. And then as far as in the hitting side, uh, he only appeared in eight games and he only had 14 at bats. He was four for 14. Uh, He had one extra base hit. That was a double and he drove in two runs and he walked once and he struck out three times. So Addison coffee 
James is a player that did not play much for this junior college team. Uh, so I look at him and be like, well, that's a $10,000 bonus, right? You're probably not even going to get 20000 And the slot value of that pick is $733,000. Okay, so if you get Addison Coffey $10,000 and he takes it, just to say that he was drafted by a major league team, so you got $723,000 that you can use to pay Jared Kelly. And then pick four, they take Cade McCalls out of Grand Canyon University, and uh, he's a senior, a uh, bit undersized as a starting pitcher, 5'11", 185. He had really good results in college uh, with a sub-3 ERA, but in May, Cade McCalls got Tommy John surgery. So he's out all the way to mid-2021 now, so that's probably another $10,000 bonus to Cade McCalls, and that slot value is $517,000. So you take seven twenty-three dollars plus the $570,000, and uh, you got yourself you know, $1.23 million that you could take from your pick three and four bonus slot value. You add it to the second round slot value, which was at $1.58 million, and now you got yourself $2.8 million to work with. And then the White Sox in the fifth round took Bailey Horn, who was the Sunday starter for the Auburn Tigers this year. Uh, the slot value is $386,000. And if you give him $150,000 for the fifth round, instead of him taking a $20,000 signing bonus, being an undrafted free agent starting on Sunday, well, there you go. That's how you get $3 million to pay for Jared Kelly, uh, taking him 47th overall. Uh, we'll see if that's the exact math, but I think that's how the math really breaks down. And, you know, with Addison Coffey and Cade McCalls, uh, for me, there's not much of a scouting report. Uh, but is there anything that is worthwhile to take away from those two picks, James? I, you know, I, I didn't think so. Like when I saw it, I thought 10,000 10, right away. And look, the, the White Sox did this last year, right? Rounds five through 10, they took seniors and paid each of them $10,000. So, you know, they took high schoolers in rounds two, three, four, um, paid them all pretty significantly. James Beard was 350000 You add sixty k to that, right? But in a traditional draft, you get to day three. They, they added some, you know, some intriguing guys. Well, this year you're not able to do that. So you basically, you know, it, it sounds bad. Like we were talking about, you know, the Angels, like, punting a draft, like not using the pick. These guys are going to be in the White Sox system playing somewhere, rookie ball or whatever. But, I mean, you know, you didn't take equivalent players in rounds three and four to pay for Jared Kelly. So um, I think round five, you know, that's somebody that, you know, could be – he could be in their minor league system for a few years and be a starting pitcher and, you know, maybe develop into something. And like you said, that bonus I'm sure is over 100 k But – I think you I think you nailed it with how they with how they paid for Kelly and it was you know it was a decision they had to make like we talked about would you rather have Kelly or would you rather have you know player player A for slot in round two and then you know a seven hundred dollar or seven hundred thousand dollar player in round three you know and then you're probably doing something similar at the end anyway so they obviously decided that they'd rather have the two impact arms at the top and then you know that's fine it's basically like a two-player draft. Right. 
And that, I think that's going to be the takeaway, James, from the 2020 draft is that this was the Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly draft. And hey, if they both develop and they both reach the major leagues, that's a lot more success the White Sox got out of one draft class than they usually get out of their draft classes. Uh, they're getting better as far as in the drafting. Um, but yeah, they can get two players that can be key contributors for them down the line. We'll probably see Garrett Crochet first before Jared Kelly. But I, I think this is pretty exciting to have these two talented pitchers join a farm system. When James, just the last couple of years, and I know that Don Cooper went on 670 to score to gave the, the health report on the pitchers. It's great to hear that they, they are getting healthy. But the last two years has just been devastating as far as pitching development for the White Sox because it's like as soon as you started to like a pitcher, they got hurt. Oh, yeah. And when they got hurt, they missed months. Well, that was the best thing that I heard Don Cooper say today was, you know, like we haven't really had anything official on Jonathan Stever. Like Jonathan Stever had some forearm soreness in spring training, and you know what forearm usually leads to. So. Right. You know, the fact that he's apparently fine, I think, is a pretty big deal because I think Jonathan Stever's pretty good. And he's also, you know, a trade candidate possibly for a team that thinks that they're going to be competing. So, you know, one thing you mentioned there, they've had injury setbacks for sure, but they've had injury setbacks again with with a lot of guys who were college picks. And now all these injury setback guys are 25, 26 years old. You know, to the point where, like, a Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, we don't want any of these players to have Tommy John surgery. But, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where everybody has it now. Well, if they have it at 19, you know, you're still back at, like, you know, a decent enough age. Like, Dane Dunning, you know, hasn't pitched at Charlotte yet, and I think he's going to be 26, like, the next time he takes a mound. So not that he can't, you know, be part of the future. He can be. But it's just – you know, it's just such limited upside lately that that's where, like, I kind of rail against, you know, the notion of being safe. Like, oh, it's safe, it's safe. But, I mean, it, it's not because any setback and you have nothing. Whereas, like, you know, even, like, I think Bryce Bush is a good example. Bryce Bush is taken as an 18-year-old. He was good in rookie ball. Went to A-ball this year, really struggled, right? Well, Bryce Bush is 19. He can go back to A-ball. And if he struggles again, then he's probably nothing. But – you know, like he, he's, he's only 19 years old. So you just need like some of those young guys in your system. And, and while the White Sox system was a barren wasteland, you added a bunch of college guys to, you know, and you have high impact prospects. That's why like the middle of the system's not that great. So, you know, adding guys to the bottom of it with more upside is, is the right move here. And that's what the Rays do, right? That's what, that's and the Tampa Bay Rays are incredibly successful. Their first round pick, Nick Bitsko. He's 17 years old, and if everything pans out and he doesn't get hurt and he joins the Rays in four years, he's a 21 year old starting pitcher joining the Tampa Bay Rays. Their number one prospect, Wander Franco, is 18. <laughs> you know, um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is incredibly young. Uh, and that's kind of the benefit and, you know, why I think everyone's been advocating for the White Sox to be more active on the international front because you get these 16, 17-year-olds, and if they, they catch on fire and they quickly rise up through your minor leagues, now you're now you can take advantage of having this premium talent at an incredible young age and you get multiple 
prime years instead of just two or three. You could have five, six, maybe seven prime years to take advantage of when that player reaches the major leagues. So I'm with you, James. I think for the White Sox these last two years, I like this direction. Sure, go ahead and spend your first-round pick because that's most of your money on a college player that you are most confident will reach the major leagues. But I do like the fact that they are taking these risks in the second and third round. And I I think that some of this will pan out for them, whether they reach the major leagues or they're going to be valuable trade assets uh, that they will move and it will help the White Sox one way or another. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's good. I think, you know, we had a little debate internally last night at Future Sox talking about Garrett Crochet and where he would fit on like a White Sox top 30 list. Because so I don't think Garrett Crochet would be a top 100 prospect in most publications right now. You agree with that, right? I don't think. I, yeah, I think you'd be on the outside. Yeah, and, and Dunning I feel like was before he got hurt, and Stever was kind of knocking on the door. So like I kind of thought that if you wanted to put Dunning and Stever in front of Garrett Crochet, like I think that's fine. I, I'd understand putting him in front of those guys. So what I'm getting at, Jared Kelly is absolutely number five. Like he's after like the White Sox top four prospects that everybody knows, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, Kopech, Madrid, Jared Kelly's number five. Like he's the number five prospect in the system. And then you can put Garrett Crochet and the other two guys wherever you want. And that's going to be odd. That's going to be where White Sox fans are going to say, James, wait a second, hold yeah. up. Why is the second round guy in front of the first round guy? And again, it's one of those situations which the White Sox – probably thought after they took Garrett Crochet that someone in the back half of the first round was going to select Jared Kelly. He wasn't drafted, and kudos to Mike Shirley and kudos to general manager Rick Hahn for working late at night to get a deal done and to have that deal in place to make a big splash early in the second round to get another top 25 talent in Jared Kelly. So I, I give this draft a thumbs up. Is that how you would grade it as well, James? Yeah, for sure. I think I was, I was very pleased. I, you know, the one thing I'll say, and it's nitpicking, I, I assumed that Garrett Crochet was going to be a little bit under slot. So I was kind of expecting, you know, an actual player that we could talk about in round three. I, I thought they'd have enough space, like maybe a million to get a college starter that we'd heard that we've heard of a guy, you know, maybe in the back half of MLB pipelines, like top 200, something like that. That's obviously not the way it played out. They felt the need to, you know, give Garrett Crochet the full freight of slot value, I think, for whatever reason. You know, maybe maybe he was going to Cincinnati. I have no idea. But, you know, I think it's pretty evident now all their money went to the two guys, and it's fine. Um, That's just not what I thought as soon as the pick happened. Before we sign off here, Sunday is when it's the Wild West (laughs) and uh, all these undrafted players uh, can sign up to $20,000 bonuses. How active are you expecting the White Sox to be, James, in this type of this unique market? I don't want to necessarily call it free agency, but in a way it's it's capped free agency where these guys can sign up to $20,000. It is. And I I think they'll be fairly active. I mean, obviously they're. You know, there's not going to be a minor league season. They're probably going to lose Great Falls next year. You would know better than me as far as, like, some of the new rules, I think, that have kicked in for college over the last 48 hours. I was under the impression that a lot of college guys, maybe not a lot, but more than people think, 
would take the 20k you know some some well-off mm-hmm. families maybe guys gonna be 22 freshmen coming on campus maybe they're like you know what i really like the rays or i like the yankees like i'm just gonna throw pro right now kids can afford it. um and i think some of those kids will come to the white Sox. i think it's you know the, the white Sox have a large scouting staff um you know there's a lot of area scouts that become friendly with these players i think they'll get quite a few maybe 10 or so i would think and mike shirley made it seem like you know they'd have some I honestly don't know, you know, it's not like you're filling a high rookie level team, you know, right? Because they're not playing baseball this year. So if it's less than I think, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think they're going to sign like 25 guys or anything after they just cut 25 guys. But, you know, probably 10 or so. And honestly, I I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of the undrafted guys are better than their third and fourth round picks were tonight. Oh, I I can almost guarantee (laughs) it. I can almost guarantee it. Like... I wouldn't be surprised if they got five thousand dollars signing bonuses, James. Okay, they could have. They, you know what? They could have drafted us <laughs> rounds three and four, uh, and gave us some cash because uh, we would never see the field ever. And I, I am doubtful that the third and fourth round picks would see the field anytime soon. Uh, but again, they're they're doing a great service to the White Sox. They're getting some cash a little bit, but the White Sox are benefiting from it greatly uh, and it'll allow them to pay Jared Kelly. So they wouldn't not taken those guys in the third or fourth round. if they didn't know that they could sign those players to a certain bonus level, but yeah, the 2020 major league baseball draft for the Chicago white Sox is all about two players, Garrett crochet and Jared Kelly and the Chicago white Sox have added premium pitching talent to their farm system. That was desperately needed after the injuries the last couple of years. And with Michael Kopech healthy and Carlos Rodon healthy, the White Sox all of a sudden in March, where it was a concern that they don't have enough pitching depth, all of a sudden that looks like that they they do now have pitching depth. So if you're looking for a silver lining throughout the coronavirus outbreak, uh, the fortunes have changed a little bit for the Chicago White Sox. So good job to Mike Shirley in his first Major League Baseball draft. Next year, it will be 20 rounds, so it will be different again for him as far as preparing. And the summer showcases, to my knowledge, have been canceled as well. So 2021 is going to be a very unique draft. But James, I look forward to, again, having the draft show next year and look forward to your as far as reports and all the great work that you guys do at Future Sox, uh, building up to the 2021 draft. And thank you so much for your help uh, with us at Sox Machine covering the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me again. And that will do it for this Major League Baseball draft recap for Sox Machine. And again, the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.